I thought this morning would be a good opportunity to kind of step back and set the larger framework, not only for what we're witnessing here, but we've been in a series on marriage that we're drawn to a close today, and our minds learn best when we get the whole, when we break the whole down into the parts, and you put the parts back up into the whole. That's how we learn best and kind of get some handles on things. So let's step back and ask the question, like in a big picture sense, when, when we woke up this morning, and if this thought raced through our mind at all, say, what's God up to with my life today? Like, what's like the bigger agenda that He's working on? And in kind of a summary form, I'd say this, like, God's been at work since the moment He breathed life into you and brought you into this world to transform you into the kind of person who loves Him authentically and loves others selflessly. That's big picture. Like, what's God doing? What's He been doing? How's He been at work? It's more than just getting us saved for those in the church world, right? It's important that there's a salvation moment, that there's a starting point, but the salvation and the saving isn't the end of the story. It's actually the beginning of a story of transformation, where he says, I'm really at work to form and shape human hearts that would freely choose to love me authentically and love others selflessly. And when I look at my own journey, I could point to three decisions I've made in my life that have affected the trajectory of who I'm becoming as a man more than anything else. Three decisions. Number one, getting married. Number two, having kids. Number three, being a pastor. So marriage, parenting, and leadership, those three decisions, when I look at the big framework, have affected me, have been more character-shaping and soul-forming than any other decisions I've made in my life, those three. And I don't think that's unique to me. I want you to kind of envision a conversation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible term for that is the Trinity. So there's this three-in-oneness with God. So there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I picture them having quite a family meeting one day, probably in the early part of creation. And as they were fashioning together Adam and Eve and said, we're gonna, we, they came up with this idea to create human beings who are stamped with the Imago Dei who have a freedom and a liberty to choose to do things with like breathtaking goodness. And they also have the freedom and the liberty to choose to do like breathtaking darkness. Like they've got this freedom. They're these amazing creatures that God's made. And can you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit putting their heads together and go, how are we going to see those human beings developed into the kind of people who love God authentically and love one another selflessly. Like, like how's that going to happen? Can you see that meeting? Can you feel that? It's like a family meeting they're having. And then I just picture one of them like raising their hand, and I think we should give Jesus the cred on this one. So like Jesus, let's say Jesus raised his hand, because in church world, it's always good to give props to Jesus, right? So I think Jesus puts his hand up first. He says, hey, I've got a great idea. And can you see like the Father and the Holy Spirit leaning in? Because that's kind of what you do in church world. You lean in and you give a good, hmm, that's good, right? That's church, church world stuff, right? Leaning in. Jesus, right? I got a good idea. I got a great idea. We've got these amazing human beings. We stamped them with the Imago Dei. 
We've got a vision for their life to become a certain kind of person because becoming is a big deal with God. Like who you are becoming, way, that's, a, that's a big agenda with God. Like, okay, so we're really, we're really concerned with who they're becoming. So Jesus said, I got an idea. How are we going to see them become the kind of people who love us and respond to us freely and authentically and who love one another selflessly? How's that going to happen? Jesus goes, I got, I got an idea. I got, I got, I got, I got it. We're going to create a family, a family unit. And can you see like Father and Holy Spirit going, okay, Jesus, unpack that a little more. And Jesus saying, here, here, I got this idea. We're going to create a man and a woman, and we're actually going to call them into a covenant called marriage, and we're going to ask them to be devoted to one another, and they're probably like, for how long? And Jesus says, their whole lives, like the whole run, decades worth and Father and Holy Spirit are like, oh, that's going to do some stuff. That's going to, a whole lot of stuff's going to get churned up when that goes on. And then Jesus goes, wait, 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 I'm not done yet, right? I've got a man and a woman, and they're going to be married for like decades together in a covenant called marriage. And then we're going to have out of their union, we're going to have them participate in creating more little humans. And we're going to put, I mean, how holy crazy is that? Like, we're going to have them involved with more of these little people, we'll call them children. And here's the capstone. Here's where Jesus goes, oh, I'm swinging for the fences on this one. Not only are we going to have man and woman united together in marriage for decades, like their whole lives, we're going to have them help create little people called their own children. And we're going to lock them in the same four corridors of a house. And we're going to have them live under the same roof for like 18 years minimum. And some of you are like, it's like 25 years or whatever, you know. Some of you are like 30 years. One of my friends called them homing pigeons. They just kind of drift off for a while and then they come back to their basement, you know. Whatever. But you with me? Like, can you see it? And Father, Son, Holy Spirit go, oh, that's good. That's good. Can you feel that environment? Can you see that crucible? Can you see how all the ingredients align? Like, Jesus going, that's going to. That's going to be amazing. Now, it's not going to guarantee the outcome, but it's going to maximize the opportunity to see a human life stamped with the Imago Dei, be forged with character, who loves God authentically and loves others selflessly. It's called a family unit. That's the big picture for marriage and parenting and raising kids and loving your spouse. That's the big framework. So when you walk the aisle, God's preoccupied with that agenda. Way more than just riding off to the sunset and building Hallmark movie memories, as nice as those movies may be, that our household watches dozens and dozens and dozens of. And they get frustrated at me when I freeze the opening frame of the movie and I say, girls, Kendra, girl, wait, 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 freeze it right there. Let me tell you how the movie's going to go. And they're like, dad, stop, stop. Well, he's going to do this and she, Stop. This is the bigger agenda. Do you know it's a really, really front burner item with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Who are you becoming as a person these days? It's the role of the church to talk about that, by the way. At the end of the run, when you stand before God, what are you going to have to present? 
You're not bringing all this stuff with you. You're not going to bring your 401K. You're not going to bring houses and cars and accomplishments and achievements. You're not going to bring any of that. You're going to stand before the God who gave you life and the Savior who gave you grace, and you are going to present to him as an offering the kind of person you have become. That's your offering. And the primary mechanism, not the only, the primary mechanism by which God's going to work on this becoming kind of project, marriage, family, parenting, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. It just keeps going and going. I came across this, a couple who'd been married for 15 years. They decided they wanted to rewrite their announcement in the local newspaper where they lived after 15 years of marriage. They said, we need to rewrite it. So they submitted to the editor, and the editor loved it so much that they posted it and made it a big story. So here, 15 years into marriage, this couple said, if we could go back and put our wedding announcement in the paper, here's what we would have said. Quote, Will anyone ever love me was joined in marriage to I will never need anyone last week. The groom, Mr. Insecure Perfectionist, wedded his bride Miss, I know I'm a disappointment at the congregational church. The lovely train wreck has taken up residence in Monrovia. A public reception and private disaster are soon to follow. (laughs) Amen. Anybody feel that? Come on, those of you who've been married for a while, you know that. And listen, this isn't just unique to the marriage union. Those of you who are single or single again, this is where what's God up to in the closer circle of friendships and community in your life, spiritual community in the church, or maybe that closer like roommate circle, close friends, coworkers, sacred companions in your life. God has a way of inserting those. It's the way of, think about the relationships that are in close proximity to you, kind of you can't get away from. Larry Crabb described marriage as a giant tree growing up in the center of the house. Like you build the house around the tree, you can't go anywhere in the house without taking the tree into account. That, that, those relationships are the primary way God's going to forge it. And so I'm just going to cover one passage out of Philippians 2 to kind of illustrate and build a bridge today to our everyday lives and, and draw this series to a close. So Philippians 2, follow along on the screen here. Here's what Paul says. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, how about that opening sentence? Like, okay, then, you better pay attention to what's on the other side of this then. Look what he says. Then, make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded. Here's the becoming. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, I looked in my Bible, and I said, Paul, like nothing? Like, can I do something selfish? Like maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday? or Like nothing. So no selfishness. Let it go. Wow. Or vain conceit. But hear this. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Wow. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Now, there should be a ton of questions popping off in your mind right now. Like the first one would be, how does that happen? 
How does someone as self-absorbed as me, as self-righteous, as self-preoccupied, self-centered, selfish, I mean, I'm breathtakingly selfish. All I have to do is get a head cold to find that on the front. Kendra calls it man-sick, right? I get man-sick and the whole world's caving. I'm convinced I'm going to die, you know, and that whole, am I the only one, guys? Or No, the ladies are all shaking their heads, right? But how does a person who's so breathtakingly self-centered become the Philippians 2, others before self? Like, how does that happen? That should be like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I, I know. Here comes the bride, all dressed in white. That's, that's what's going to happen. We're going to have them get married. Because that marriage, that dagger is going to go right through the heart of self. You get married and walk that aisle, boom, right there. You start having kids, boom, more daggers right in the heart of self. I mean, come on. It reminded me a few years ago, I was doing this wedding. I do a lot of weddings for people who don't have people to do their weddings because I feel like it's the kind of thing Jesus would do and random phone calls and networks and connections are all kinds of avenues. And so 80% of the weddings I do are not a part of the church family and I'm glad to do it and I try to serve as many families as I could. This one setting was... Third marriage for her, second marriage for him. They weren't interested in a lot of premarital dialogue. They just said, hey, Rev, we just want you to come and kind of do what you do. You know, your spiritual thing and hook us up and make it official. And I'm like, oh, okay. They said, I said, can we like talk through some things? No, 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 we're good. And said, no rehearsal. They didn't want to rehearsal. They're like, just show up, follow our lead. We've got it all. I should have been my first cue. Like, I don't know. So I show up and a couple hundred people in the room and... <laughs> And the wedding party is all the kids from the previous five marriages. That's the wedding party. So they have the look, like, are we doing this again? Like, kind of look. And the groom's standing in the back, and I'm with him. And I, <laughs> he's standing there, and he says to the GJ, okay, hit it. And I'm like, oh, boy, we're standing back. And he gets into this air guitar pose at the end of the aisle. This guy's, like, in his mid-50s. And it's the song, don't stop believing, journey. It just like cuts into journey, don't stop believing, because we're working on number six right now between these two. So, and everybody just starts bust up laughing, and he starts rolling down the aisle with this horrible air guitar, kind of like I play him. Like that just, that was just the start. Because it's family worship day, I can't get into the other segments. I'm just going to let your mind go. There were some like borderline rated R segments that happened before I could like insert. I was trying to get God-centeredness in this conversation at some point. So we get, we get to the vow section. I'm just like, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. And I just, like, I just need to get him husband and wife and pronounce it. you know. So I'm trying to get through the vows. He gets through his vows just fine. I, I turn to her to get through her vows. And the last line of most traditional vows is the line, And all this I promise... Until death separates us. Pretty straightforward, right? So we went through a whole sequence of things. She was right along with me. I come to that last line. She pauses. She looks at him. And she says, all this I promise until life separates us. You should have heard the gasps in that room. It's like the air just... And everybody had that look like, wait, wait. Did she just say... And he had that look like, did I just hear? And then she shot him the look that said, I said what I said, and I meant it. And then she gave me the look like, move it along, Rev. <laughs> Do you know there's a lot underneath that statement? All this I promise until when? Life separates us. Oh, boy, 
I don't know how far they made it. I certainly, you know, I tried to extend my card to them, say, hey, you know what? I have a feeling we might need to have some contact in the future. I was just trying to, I'm here to help. We're good, pastor. Pray for us and send us off. But do you see in that, right, in that crucible itself, do you see the, the becoming quotient that marriage thrusts on us and then parenting thrusts on us? It's what the French priest from the 1500s, and I put this quote in your note. I loved it so much. I thought, this summarizes the marriage series for me. There is no question, this is Francis de Sales, late 1500s, there is no question that marriage limits how much we can do, but it multiplies what we can become. That's it. Young people, you need to hear this front and center right now. I know the Hallmark movies don't cover this, but let me tell you right now. Marriage limits what you can do. But hear this. God is at work to use that relationship to multiply who you become. That right there. We got to raise up a generation that embraces marriage and family with that vision. Way more important than our happiness is our holiness is another way of saying it. That's God's larger agenda. So you see from Philippians 2, like, how is others before self forged in a self-centered human heart? Well, one of the ways, not the only way, but one primary way is he puts them in a relationship called husband and wife. He blesses them with children. He locks them in four corridors for a good 18 plus years. And in that crucible, all the stuff that's forged out of the human heart. Because you can be married and be selfish, you just can't have a great marriage and be selfish. The core of marriage is going to call forth selflessness. You can be a parent and be selfish. You just can't be a great parent and be selfish. It's going to call forth selflessness. To stay in the trenches, to love and serve your household and your spouse the way God calls you to, do you see that very crucible day after day, week after week, it just keeps working. It just keeps working to build a Philippians 2 heart is kind of the becoming end quotient. But we're all on the journey and a process. How do you have like, how do you like consider others ahead of yourself? How does that happen? I think the family unit is an outstanding way to have at least that on display. Perhaps when we fail miserably and you own your failure and you get up the next day and say, I'm going to work harder to put others ahead of myself, like that. So you can't learn how to be others-oriented in isolation. You can't do it. If you extract yourself from close proximity to humans, you are not going to develop a Philippians 2 heart. You can't. It's going to drift the other way. That's back what we covered a few weeks ago, Genesis 3. The current in the river flows the wrong direction for that to occur. So, I wrap up the series with this. Step back from the last four weeks and say, okay, what's God up to? Let's say you wake up this, God, what are you up to today? What are you doing in my life? What's God up to today? He is at work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to develop you into the kind of person who freely and authentically loves him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's at work to do that. And he's working to form and shape your love for others in a selfless posture. That's what he's doing. And he's been doing that since the moment he breathed life into you. And he'll be doing that for decades to come. And one of the primary environments, tools, vehicles he uses is called the family. Marriage and parenting and kids. Marriage, no doubt, limits what you can do. But it multiplies who you can become. And so this week, I put in your notes a couple things I'd like you to do before I pray here. This is kind of the assignment for the week. This week, I'd like you to just, I put in your notes, I'd like you to just 
take some time and purposefully thank God for the qualities in your spouse that you admire and appreciate. Just bring to mind the things you love and appreciate and admire about your spouse all week long. Just do it. And just whisper gratitude to God for the spouse that he's given you. And try to find the qualities. Work really hard if you need, but keep digging. Find the things so that you really go back to your vows if you need to, whatever you need to do. Find them. And then secondly, I'd like you to find some quiet space this week somewhere. And I'd like you to examine your own heart before the Lord and ask him to search you and say, Lord, how are you using marriage and parenting and family? How are you using that to forge and develop Philippians 2 in my heart right now? Where's the contact point right now? Because all of us have a contact point in some degree. Where's that contact point happen and have a conversation with the Lord about it? Can we do that? That's marriage God's way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the stories today. Thank you for the, the picture of just new beginnings and that you don't give up on us. And thank you for life change. And I'm recognizing in a marriage series and just seeing the husbands and wives in the tank. What a beautiful picture, Lord, of how you've used that actual covenant and that union to just develop and forge and shape what we pray is Philippians 2 posture. Would you grow us as a generation here? Would you be at work in our body called eagle to raise up family units who love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and love one another selflessly. Do that. And then give us eyes to love and appreciate and honor our spouses, to be thankful for who they are. And then search our hearts this week and help us to see how are you using all of this to build the kingdom of Jesus in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.